Uh, please welcome Professor Weller. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Okay, so I, we had this whole idea at the beginning of the semester to do this huge series of guest speakers, and, and Dave was saying, we're going to have Jessica Drake as a porn star. And I'm like, oh, my God, my students are so lucky. And we're going to have Jessica Lynn, who's transgender. And I'm like, oh, my God, yes, they get to see her in person. This is amazing. And then they're going to have um, a BDSM expert. And I'm like, thank God, because last semester, oh, my word, getting through that lecture literally was a BDSM like experiment for me because it was actually physically painful but also pleasurable simultaneously because I was like, I did it, and I talked about sex, but whoo, I don't know anything about that. So I was so excited for you guys to get a BDSM speaker. And then Dave said, we're also going to have this great speaker, Ashley Weller. And I was like, no, but I'm... I'm already speaking like once a week, so I'm pretty busy that day at that time. <laughs> Sorry. And he's like, no, no, you are part of the guest speaker series. Like, that's, that's what you're part of. So for my class, you don't have to do your guest speaker project on me because that's super narcissistic, and I'm not going to make you do that. If you, hi, excuse you. If you uh, didn't turn a guest speaker project in and you would like to use this, as one of your uh, excused turn-ins, you're more than welcome to, but I'm not asking anybody to do that. So um, I decided to put on my guest speaker hat instead of my professor hat, and we're going to do STIs without a whiteboard. Thanks. Normally I have a big whiteboard and we make columns and we talk about STIs and how they're contracted and who gets them, and, and I have you fill this board out with me, and it's, an, it's a project, and it's not slides, and it's not boring, and it's interactive, and I throw candy. Um, guys, I bought new candy because it all melted. <laughs> I'm so excited for you. You do have M&Ms in your cup, so you're probably not wanting candy, but I will throw Starbursts because those aren't chocolate. So I did bring a different flavor candy knowing that you were going to all have STIs today. So um, I do this talk uh, for STIs for many reasons. One, as Dave mentioned, because my family is very, very steeped into the HIV and AIDS community in Orange County. My grandmother started AIDS Services Foundation in the 80s when her son contracted HIV. She was a nurse and she saw a lot of the first patients at UC Irvine when they came in, when they didn't know what it was, when it was terrifying. Um, very similar to COVID actually. Uh, HIV and AIDS um, share a lot of similarities as far as fear mongering is concerned, as, as far as like how the government played a role in COVID response and HIV response. Um, a lot of the same similarities between the FDA's medication regulations and how they dropped those testing regulations to get medications out as soon as possible once they realized there was an epidemic on their hands. There are so many parallels between COVID and HIV, just for a paper idea, if anybody wants to do that. <laughs> it's a really good idea. Um, somebody do that. Okay. Um, so I wanted to do something to help spread the word about HIV and AIDS and STIs. I grew up in a really conservative household, um, wasn't allowed to go to health class. Um, when I asked what happens when, how do you get pregnant, uh, my mom said kissing a boy, so the first time a boy kissed me, I puked on his shoes um, because I thought I was gonna get pregnant. It was terrible, it was awful, it was very sad, very embarrassing. Gabe, don't laugh, <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> it was really bad. Uh, it formed me, it formulated me, it made me curious about things that I wasn't allowed to ask questions about, and it, it made me want to know more about this thing that we all want, this thing that we all desire, this thing that is a basic human need on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's at the bottom, like it's one of the number one. So I wanted to learn more about it. So when I moved down to California, um, I took health classes, I took human sexuality classes, I took eight in total, um, because I really wanted to know about the human body. It's like if you tell somebody to not eat chocolate cake, all they're going to want to do is eat chocolate cake. I couldn't ask questions about sex. I couldn't ask questions about my Uncle Jamie. When 2020 did a special on HIV and AIDS, I remember my grandma saying, your uncle has that and he's going to die. Like, wait, what? I was eight years old. Like, that changed me in that moment made me super, super curious about what the hell they could be talking about. And then I was told I couldn't learn about it. I was like, hmm, this sounds suspect. So when I learned about it, I was like, oh, I get it. 
they just don't want people to have this information. They don't want to educate people on sex and health and pleasure and joy and the sorrows of being in a relationship. Well, I'll do it then. I'm super loud. I came down here to go to theater, wanted to be an actress. Shock, shock and awe from the audience. And I decided that wasn't my passion. I actually wanted to do psychology. I love people. I love the brain. I love how people work. So I started doing free STD talks <laughs> wherever it would take me. I would go to rehab facilities um, and talk to the, to the people there who were coming off of heroin. They hated me. I would go to youth centers, youth facilities, and talk to the kids who were runaways. They hated me. Um, and then I started talking at junior highs and high schools. And I, I was talking at Troy High School in Fullerton about HIV, and the teacher there said, do you want to just teach the rest of my uh, lecture on sex ed? And I was like, more than anything in the world. And I went home and made a lesson plan like overnight. I was like, eight modules I'm going to talk about. Periods! Oh my God. I'm going to talk about masturbation. These kids are 12. Like, <laughs> they're so scared. And I was throwing candy at them, and I was like, yes, positive psychology, positive reinforcement. Here's a starburst. And I fell in love with it, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. So I did everything I could to get my master's degree and begin to teach, because all I wanted to do was feel that feeling in that room of giving a human being knowledge that they didn't have before about a topic that is so necessary and about a topic that is super primal and super animalistic and inside all of us. And it's, it's something that we can relate to. And I really, really, really love teaching this subject. So... Um, unfortunately, one of the students at Troy High School went home and asked his parents if they had anal sex, because during my lecture, I let them know everyone has anal sex. This is not something that is specific to the homosexual community. This is something that everyone can experience. This is something that grown adults do. This is something that men and women do together. This is something that everyone does. So he went home and asked his parents if they had anal sex. And his parents said, where did you hear that? And he said, at school. And so Troy High School fired me and asked me not to come back. And I was very sad um, because I thought I was, you know, educating the masses. And that's fine because it led me to teach at Chapman, which led me to teach for Dave, which led me to teach for you. So I'm very grateful to be here and I'm very grateful to be your professor, but also I'm very grateful to those of you who I am your guest speaker. So I'm playing both roles today. We're going to talk about STIs, uh, STDs, sexually transmitted infections or sexually transmitted diseases. Normally on my whiteboard, I have some columns here because I want you to tell me the names of some STDs or STIs, but instead you can just tell me and I'll put it in my mental bank. Raise your hand, please. Ma'am. Chlamydia. And my students know I suck at throwing. Yes, make up for it, for laughing at me. Gonorrhea, thank you, sir. <laughs> yeah. Syphilis. Syphilis. You guys are going literally right down my list as if you've seen my presentation before. Next. You have your hand? Yeah. Boom. Oh, no, I'm telling you, it's me, it's not you. Herpes? Yep. One more that we're gonna talk about. There's a bunch more, but one more that we're gonna talk about. Yeah? Well, Sherry said that, but it, I will give you a hint. It does start with an H and it does have three letters. Yeah. HPV? Yes, HPV. So we got chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, herpes, HPV, and HIV. Those are the ones that we're gonna talk about today. There are, of course, more sexually transmitted infections that one can get. There are also infections and things that you can get from both having sex and also doing regular life, such as yeast infections, bladder infections, pubic lice, scabies, all of those things, yes, you can get them from sex, but they are not necessarily only indicative of sexually transmitted infections. Other things that you can get from having sex include a, um, a trichnomosis, um, you can get uh, hepatitis. We aren't going to cover everything that you can get from having sexual intercourse. We're just going to cover the main six. Chlamydia and gonorrhea are actually very similar. Um, both of them are going to be talked about in a similar way. They're both a bacteria that is formed and hangs out either in the vaginal canal or in the shaft of the penis until it becomes its big brother, epididymitis, or its big sister, uh, 
pelvic inflammatory disease. So chlamydia and gonorrhea are bacterial infections that start out small. They actually don't show a lot of symptoms to anybody. They don't really bother anybody. And therefore, they are not tested for very often. Because when was the last time you went for the doctor because you felt fine? Why are we going to see a doctor if nothing is wrong? Right? Yeah? <laughs> That's fair. That is fair. You, are, you might be a hypochondriac. And if so, good on you, because if you go to the doctors regularly, you can actually catch those illnesses that don't have symptoms regularly. So 75% of people that get chlamydia or gonorrhea actually don't show symptoms at all. Like none. So you're not going to know necessarily that you have it. If you do contract chlamydia or gonorrhea, you will notice in about three to seven days from transmission, if you have a symptom, you might experience pain when you urinate, excessive or different discharge, and pain during sex. But as a lot of us know, Discharge is very common in people who have vaginas. It's the way that our body cleans ourselves. It's a self-cleaning oven, right? The bacteria that is left over in the body cleans itself out in about a teaspoon amount. It's usually like a whitish color. And if you know what normal looks like, it would be very easy for you to know what abnormal looks like. But if you're not looking at your own discharge on a daily basis, you probably wouldn't notice the change unless it was a very bad infection. You may notice a different smell, a different consistency, or a different color. For guys, this discharge is coming out of the tip of your penis even when you're not aroused. So normally, nothing is coming out of the tip of your penis unless you're peeing or you're about to have sex. Pre-cum comes out the tip of the penis, Urine comes out the tip of the penis. If at any other time a whitish, yellowish discharge comes out the tip of your penis, I know it's upsetting. I know he's your friend. Pet him. Tell him it'll be fine. Take yourself to the doctor. It's going to be okay. If you notice pain during sex, you might notice it at the base or the shaft where the penis connects to the pelvic bone or in the testicles. For females, you might notice it in the ovary area. Typically, it's going to feel like period cramps, but while you're having sex. It is difficult a lot of times for people to notice if they're having pain during sex, because what happens when we have sex? What do we release? Endorphins. Right. Hormones, endorphins, things that are making our pain tolerance go up. We might not want to say anything, and then we might forget afterwards that we had that pain during sex. If you notice pain when you urinate, that's probably a sign of an infection no matter what. Bladder infection, urinary tract infection, kidney infection. If it hurts when you pee, if it feels like fire is coming out of that hole, please go and see a doctor. Please. Go. It could be a simple bladder infection, but it could be chlamydia, could be gonorrhea. Get that checked out. These are both bacterial infections, which means they can be cured with antibiotics. So if you go to the doctor and they do a swab either in your throat or a urine sample, they can also take a swab if they do a pap smear. If they get that sample back and it shows you have chlamydia or gonorrhea, you can get antibiotics that you take for 7 to 14 days, depending on the strain, depending on the severity of what you've got. Your partner should also be taking these medications because if they have it or if you have it, it's about a 98% chance the other person has it. So chlamydia and gonorrhea are very contagious. Um, there's no way of knowing who's the culprit, who gave it to who. There's no point in arguing that or asking that. If, you're, if you have chlamydia or gonorrhea, have your partner get tested as well. Otherwise, you can transmit it back and forth once you're cured. So if you cure chlamydia or gonorrhea with antibiotics, and then you have sex with your partner again, and you get chlamydia or gonorrhea again, you will have to take that same course of antibiotics again. And what, it, what ends up happening is we get bacteria that turn into super bacteria that are now resistant to all strains of antibiotics. Unfortunately, there is something called super gonorrhea. Um, it is not as cool as it sounds. It does not have a cape. <sighs> oh, it's terrible. Um, and it is untreatable at this time to any current antibiotics. It's treatment resistant. Basically, that means it needs to be monitored by a doctor at all times. What you don't want is chlamydia and gonorrhea turning into their big brother, their big sister. This happens after about three to nine months of untreated chlamydia or gonorrhea. 
If you don't have symptoms, if you are 75% of the population, you didn't have a symptom, and you're not getting tested regularly, you are probably going to move on to either epididymitis or pelvic inflammatory disease, which means bacteria is going to start growing and move into either the testicles or the uterus. If it moves into the uterus, it's going to eat the uterine lining, which can cause spotting and cramping, which will be your first symptoms to notice. If you're having cramping and spotting at a time when you shouldn't be, it is not your period normally. You know that you've had unprotected sex recently. You're also experiencing maybe a fever. Maybe you just feel off. Notice the discharge, perhaps. Go to the doctor. You can get the antibiotics. It'll be fine. Epididymitis, it crawls into the testicles. It starts eating the lining of the testicles, the seminal vesicles. It can actually cause inflammation, redness, and swelling. Again, I know y'all are bros, so if your boys are swollen, go to the doctor. Like, t carry them in a baby hammock, whatever you gotta do, get them there. Cool them off. <sighs> By the way, Allie, you don't get to count my F-bombs. No, you do not. Not today. Not today. <laughs> Antibiotics will take care of epididymitis and pelvic inflammatory disease, but unfortunately, if there's damage done, you could end up not being able to have children. Very, 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 very rarely does gonorrhea or chlamydia lead to death. Questions about those two bacterial infections? Fun fact that I normally write on my whiteboard. 75% of all new cases of gonorrhea and chlamydia are in people ages 15 to 25. Who's pissed that they didn't write their paper about getting STI tested now, right? Now y'all wish you're like, dang it, I should have just done that for my paper. 75% of all new chlamydia and gonorrhea cases. There's about 2 million chlamydia cases reported annually every year in the United States and about 800,000 gonorrhea cases. Those are going up. They did not go down over COVID if you look at COVID over the course of two years, 2020 and 2021. Because 2020, we didn't have doctors to go to, nobody went to the doctor for anything. Burning vagina, discharging penis, no one was going. So they all waited till 2021 to go and get their discharge taken care of. And because they did that, we have skewed results from 2020 and skewed results from 2021. So if you average the two out, STIs are still going up. They were going up in 2019. Uh, in January and February, the trend was going up in 2020. It plummeted, obviously, in uh, April of 2020. For syphilis, syphilis won't hide from you, like chlamydia and gonorrhea. Syphilis will let you know that it's there. The first stage of syphilis, there are three, is a sore. This sore is about the size of like the tip of an eraser, it is painless, no pain, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? You don't just want a giant painful sore on your body anywhere. But at the same time, if that sore is in a place like the cervix and it's painless, how will you know it's there? Nobody's putting on a headlamp and deep diving before they have sex to see if there's any sores on the inside of that cavern wall. No one's doing this, right? So you're not gonna know if there's a sore in the vaginal canal or the back of the throat or the inside of the anus unless you see it. You can see it if it's on your finger. If you put your finger inside of an orifice that has syphilis such as an anus or a vaginal canal and you have a hangnail, you can get a, a sore on your finger. If you have oral sex with someone who has syphilis, you can get a sore in, on, and around your mouth and your throat. Um, if any of that fluid gets in your eye, you can get a sore on your eye. So the syphilis sore is your first sign, and it lasts about four weeks. Again, painless, but if you do happen to see a new and odd sore on your body, go get it checked out. They will do an oral swab or a urine test to let you know if you have syphilis. If you do, they will give you a shot. Now the problem with this shot is that it actually has to go directly into your arm. <laughs> they were there were like 20 people who were so upset right now. <laughs> like their faces I saw. You were like, no, I don't want it. And no, it's just your arm. It's like a penicillin shot. It's just a big fat shot of antibiotics. And the reason they give it to you in a shot is because if you don't have any symptoms, chances are you're going to stop taking your medication, right? If you're like, oh, my symptoms went away. I guess I don't need this 14-day course of whatever an antibiotic is called, whatever. 
you throw it out and then the, the illness persists, right? You wanna make sure you finish the course. And because syphilis can kill you, your doctor's not going to trust you with your course of antibiotics, so they give it to you in a shot. Done, syphilis out. If you don't get the sore taken care of, it will disappear like a really awful magic trick because in its place comes a rash from head to toe. It's not itchy, it's not painful, kind of makes you look like you have leopard skin. You'll see it a lot on your uh, hands and your feet and your back. You may also notice your hair falls out more so than just like a uh, strand, like chunks of hair. And you may also notice fever, vomiting, diarrhea, because your immune system is being affected and it's trying to send alarm bells to tell you, hey, something's wrong, T get this taken care of. If you notice this, you also remember, I had a sore last week, that's weird, or I had unprotected sex a few weeks ago, maybe I should go to the doctor. Again, same shot, fine, it's gone, done. If you do nothing, that rash will go away. And syphilis will eventually make its way into the base of your spine and climb up your spinal column into your brainstem and begin eating holes in your brain. Which is terrible because we need our brain, like really bad, to do like everything, literally. No brain, no you. Start eating holes in it, you're gonna die. How long? Nobody knows. Syphilis used to kill people the most and the fastest. It used to be the most like transmittable disease it also used to kill the most people, and it also used to be really quick. We're talking like three years, and a person was in tertiary syphilis or stage three syphilis. Tertiary syphilis does not happen that often. It's like 1% of people who get syphilis get to that stage. But unfortunately, it's irreversible. You cannot go to the doctor and get a shot of penicillin. If you get to tertiary syphilis, that's it. You don't transmit it anymore from person to person, but eventually it will start to affect your functioning. About 80,000 people a year get syphilis in this country. It used to be like 20,000, but there's been an uprising in syphilis cases. There's also been a 400% yes, that is what I said, 400% increase in syphilis in Orange County in 2019. 400 percent. I have the website. That's crazy. Syphilis is making a comeback. Ugh. Questions? Fine. Leave me up here. Jeez. Herpes. Herpes is a incurable virus. Herpes simplex one, cold sores on your mouth. Herpes simplex two, cold sore on your genitals. Different strains of herpes. These are not interchangeable. Yes, if you have a cold sore and you give someone oral sex, they can contract herpes simplex one. If someone has herpes simplex two and you give them oral sex, yes, you can contract herpes simplex two through any open sore in the mouth. But if you contract genital herpes, you will have genital herpes. You're not going to have simplex 2 on your mouth and vice versa. Make sense? Okay. Herpes is very stigmatized. It's, a, it's an STD, STI. It's an infection. It's a virus. It's not going anywhere. You get it. You got it forever. But it's probably one of the least invasive. It slows down over time. Your body begins to learn how to fight it. Luckily, it's not like HIV. It can't replicate itself as fast. So you will have fewer outbreaks over time. It also gives you the most warning. Usually when someone has a herpes diagnosis, they can feel an outbreak coming through tingling, through a burning sensation. They notice the sore, that area is aching. Similar to people who have herpes simplex one, they notice the same thing on their mouth. You have medicine that you can take to reduce the pain during the outbreak. You also have medicine that you can take to reduce the number of outbreaks that you have annually. People are going to vary in the amount of herpes outbreaks they have. It's going to vary from person to person, from virus to virus. You may have one your entire life and never have another one again. You may have one a month. <laughs> you never know. But you can manage herpes. And if you tell your partner that you have it, you guys can have safe sex. Unfortunately, if you are having sex with a condom during a herpes outbreak, 
it is still recommended that you remain abstinent because herpes can be anywhere from the tip of the penis to the shaft of the penis to the base, and it can be anywhere from the outer labia to the inner labia to the vulva. So a condom does not necessarily protect this portion out here. You can still pass herpes if you have anything on the base, not necessarily something that will be covered by a condom. You typically aren't going to want to have sex when you have a herpes outbreak anyway because it's painful. Unlike syphilis, these pains are noticeable. They are open sores. They are very blister-like. They might ooze something. You want to make sure that when you are having an outbreak, you're taking care of it. You're making sure that you're clean. Unfortunately, people who have herpes are at higher risk for contracting other STIs because they have an active open sore on their genitals. So you probably want to avoid sexual contact during a herpes outbreak to begin with for those reasons. The cream that you use, the pain cream, it is not preventative. It does not help your partner. It's just helpful for you for the pain that you're experiencing. And then the pill that you can take, Valtrex, is something that you can take every day that will help reduce the number of symptoms that you, or reduce the number of outbreaks that you have. Questions about herpes? Okay, moving on. HPV. HPV stands for what? Raise your hand. Yeah. That is correct. Human papilloma virus. It's going to change the cells, right? So it can change some cells in the cervix, the penis, the anus, and the mouth, and those cells can become cancerous. That strain of her, there's four strains of HPV that can cause cancer. There's about 23 strains of HPV that cause genital warts. The rest of the strains do nothing. There's about 150 of them. As a matter of fact, there's so many strains of HPV that the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and the WHO, the World Health Organization, are 100% sure if you've had sex, you have HPV. I hate to break it to you. It is what it is. It's so common. It is the most common STI in the entire world. About 5 million new cases every day. It's crazy. The warts look like warts. If you've ever had a wart anywhere on your body, your finger, your knee, your foot, anywhere else on your body, it looks just like that, but it's on your genitals. So it's skin colored, right? It's got a little bit of like cauliflower. It looks like cauliflower. It's ridiculous. The tiny seeds that are in warts are absolutely ridiculous. I know this because I used to have them on my hands and my knees when I was in junior high and high school. Junior high and high school kids are fucking assholes. Okay? Yeah. I wasn't cool. I'm sorry. I said I wasn't cool. I know. I know. Guys. So having warts was like like what else? Sure, I'm not allowed to take sex ed. I'm not allowed to kiss boys or I'll vomit on them. Now I've got warts on my hands. No, it's fine. My hair looks like shit all the time. Sure, fine. Keep it coming. So I walked around like this with one finger on top of the other because, you know, jazz hands. Right? And just walked around like that all the time so that no one could see the wart on my index finger. But because I was laying my middle finger on top of it every day, I wasn't rubbing it super hard. I wasn't grinding my fingers together. There was no sweat or fluids or slapping. I just laid my finger on top of my other finger and I got a wart on this finger. <laughs> now, imagine you have a wart on your vulva or your penis and you're having sex. Are you just laying your penis on somebody's mouth? Are you just laying gently your vulva in someone's mouth? No. There's grinding, right? There's sweating. There's slapping. There is skin-to-skin -skin contact. It is 100% certain. I can't say that. Legally, I'm not allowed to say that. It is 99.9% .9 certain that if someone has a genital wart and you have sex with them, you're going to get a genital wart. So don't do that. Check out the equipment. Hey, nice. Can you just, can you lay down real fast? Thank you. Leg up. Perfect. Great. Okay. We're, 
Okay, we're good. Perfect. Let's go. Take your pants off. <laughs> Check out the equipment. What are you going to do? Have sex in the dark? You don't want to see what it looks like? Check it out. If there's something funky, did you know, were you aware, were you aware that you have a sore the size of a small eraser that's probably painless and maybe syphilis stage one in your vulva? I can take you to the nearest Planned Parenthood. I actually know where one is and I'm on a name-to-name -name basis with them. That'd be beautiful, right? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, that's not happening. But check it out. If there's a wart or something funky, don't, 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 don't. Rub it out. Just rub it out. When in doubt, rub it out. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. Genital warts won't kill you. You can get them frozen off. They won't grow back. It took me three times with this bad boy because the roots were pretty deep. So warts have roots. They want to make sure they get to the root of the problem, literally, or else it'll keep growing back. So they're probably going to have to do a couple times. They will numb the area. It's going to hurt for a couple days, but once the wart is gone, it won't come back. HPV can cause four kinds of cancer, including cervical, anal, oral, and penile. That is why we do pap smears. What did you say, Dave? I have a question. Yeah. There might be a subset of people in the room mm. who don't know what a pap smear is. Okay. Crazy. I, I would love to describe the process of a pap smear. As a matter of fact, <laughs> who knows what this is? Oh, whose best friend is this right here? Everybody put their hands down right now. This is a speculum. So, couple things about getting a pap smear. Ladies, if you have had a period in your lifetime, you should have already gotten a pap smear. You have reproductive organs. They are working. They are doing what they are supposed to be doing. And you should get them checked on once a year like you do the rest of your body. Think of, you, think of your body as a car, right? You get your car the first year. You don't get it an oil change? Yeah, you do. Your first year, you don't get a tire rotation? No? You're supposed to. No! How? Oh my gosh. Every three to five thousand. Okay, hold on. Side note. <clears throat> For your car, every three to five thousand miles, you should get an oil change. Okay, I'm serious. And you should rotate your tires every five thousand miles. Okay? All right. Back to the gynecologist. So. If you've had a period, you should be going to the gynecologist. The reason I say this is because there are many people in this room who have not only had a period, but have been sexually active and have been told not to come to the gynecologist until they are 21 years old. How many people does this ring true for? Fantastic. Please do me a favor and make an appointment to see a gynecologist the moment you leave here. Do that for yourself. Yes. Nope. It is the moment you have a period. Why would you not get those organs looked at? They're working. What if there's something wrong, right? What, you want to prevent any possible issues. And then when you're sexually active, not only can you go to the gynecologist for health questions, mental health questions, sex health questions, but you can also go for STI testing. That is not their sole purpose. Your sexual health is their sole purpose. So please make an appointment with a gynecologist immediately. Not, to, not for scary reasons, just to get comfortable with the idea. So it becomes part of your practice. So it's something that you do for yourself every year. I used to go to the gynecologist every November. Why? Because I am thankful for her. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure she was taken care of. Every November. Was it my favorite thing to do? No! This! Oh my God, we're going to get to that in a second. Jeez. Going to the gynecologist takes about, literally in the room, 90 seconds, maybe two minutes. You get there, you check in. I'm going to tell you exactly what to expect, so prepare your little ear holes. Ready? You go there, you check in, you tell them, I'm here for my women, women's wellness yearly check. And I would like a full STD panel. And they will say, perfect, have a seat, fill out these forms. You fill out the forms. They say, hello, Ashley, would you like to come back in the back? We go back in the back, we take my weight, I say, I'm fabulous, she says, I know. We go into the waiting room, I sit down, she says, here is a scratchy gown covered in ducks, please strip down to your socks. And I say, okay. 
Because the socks are important. You want to have some semblance of yourself. <clears throat> so you're naked with an open in the front scratchy gown, which is super fun, by the way. And a doctor comes in and says, put your feet in these stirrups. Can I borrow your chair? Of course. So it isn't what you think. It's worse. <laughs> so they say, while you're naked, can you move your butt down to the edge of the bed? No, 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 further. And you're like, what is happening? And then there's stirrups, like that, except higher. And I'm not doing that because I didn't go to the gym today, so I'm not stretchy enough. Your feet are in stirrups, your legs are spreadeth, and the doctor says, great, we're going to insert this speculum into the vaginal canal. And then they open it. And then they grab a Q-tip, another Q-tip, another Q-tip, and they take it out. Then they get some lube, and they get two gloved fingers, and they stick their fingers in your vagina, and they palpitate your ovaries and your fallopian tubes to make sure they don't feel any lumps. Then... They have you sit up and they teach you how to perform a breast exam so that you can do that at home and make sure that you don't have any changes to your breast tissue every time you take a shower. Then they have you put on your clothes. They hand you a sanitizing wipe because you're luby. That's a word. Look it up. You leave. They hand you condoms and plan B and tell you to have a nice year because you'll be back next year because you love your vulva, right? I know it's scary. I promise I'll give anybody candy who goes to the gynecologist. My aunt with, with, went with me the first time and she bought me a teddy bear and an ice cream. I was 18 years old and had been sexually active way too long to have not gone and she saved, probably saved my humanity at that moment. So I'm telling you to go, do that. Find someone you love and trust and go with them. Do not let a doctor tell you you only need a pap smear every three years. Does anybody know how quickly cancer spreads? No. <laughs> the answer is no. So if you contract HPV when you're 17 years old, the average age that most people lose their virginity, let's say you contract HPV, and you wait until the doctor's recommended age of 21 to get a pap smear, the test that was invented for cervical cancer and you have the strain that causes cervical cancer and you've had it since you were 17. Do you think cancer just sat back and said, no, that's no big deal. Your doctor said not to you're 21. I'm chill, just hang out, just let me know. No, cancer said, fuck you, I'm cancer, here we go. You don't want to give that time to spread. So you need to go to the gynecologist once a year to get a pap smear if you are sexually active. You wanna make sure you are preventing those issues. If you happen to have the strain that can cause cervical cancer, there are so many things that those doctors can do to prevent it from turning into cervical cancer if they can get to it ahead of time. If they get to it five years later, there's no telling where it's at at this point. You want to make sure that you are taking control of your sexual health. You are being autonomous. You are making choices to engage in sexual activity. So be big enough, be brave enough to go to the doctor and take care of your engine. You can't let this break down. You cannot trade it in. You cannot sell it to CarMax. They don't want it. You only get one. One of these vessels. Take good care of it. Go to the doctor. HIV is transmitted through four bodily fluids. Vaginal fluids, blood, semen, and breast milk. How many of you just learned that breast milk can transmit HIV? Which means you most likely did not get HIV education in high school. Or if you did, they failed to mention that because that's one that usually stands out to people. Breast milk, what? Yeah, it lives in breast milk. You can contract HIV not only through sexual contact, but other ways as well. So while it is a sexually transmitted infection, you can also pass it through needle sharing, blood to blood contact, like fighting, and then through pregnancy, birth and delivery and breastfeeding. But for the sake of today's lecture, I wanted to bring it up because it can be sexually transmitted as well. For a while, it was a very scary thing um, the origins of HIV go way, way, way back, uh, back to like the beginning of the 1900s. 
Um, it did start in chimpanzees in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Nobody had sex with a chimpanzee, so don't bother asking. I'll just answer that for you right now. Um, HIV is something that was transmitted from person, human, uh, simian to person, but it was SIV in the monkey, which is simian immunodeficiency virus, and it was passed to the human being, most likely through hunting. When, when chimpanzees are hunted, um, they don't just lay down and die, they'll kill you. Like, they'll rip your face off. So there's most likely blood, scratching, biting, and a lot of times they eat part of their kill the moment they kill it. So there's a lot of blood being mixed, a lot of scratches and open sores. So that's where they believe the first SIV to HIV transmission was made. But it took decades for that virus to transform into something that could be passed between person to person. Once it was, it got taken to the ports of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. It was uh, where the ships would come in. Um, anyone who was having sex could pass it to those people on the ships who could then take it back to their country. It then made its way to Haiti. It then made its way up to Canada and into the United States. And we saw probably the first case here in the 70s. Um, my grandmother saw one of the first cases in Orange County, and the man was a bodybuilder. He was normally at 340, and he was down to 104. And he passed away within one day of arriving at the ICU. And they had no idea what it was. It turns out later he had Carposi sarcoma, which is a spe specific type of cancer that can affect individuals who have moved from the HIV virus stage into the AIDS syndrome. No one can transmit AIDS. It is not transmissible. If you ever develop HIV, it is because you got transmitted the HIV virus, the human immunodeficiency virus. AIDS is a syndrome. So that stands for acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. It means that your immune system is at a deficit. So normally a person has between 1,500 and 2,000 T cells. Did anybody go to a party this weekend? What about spring break? Did anybody go to a party over spring break? Raise your hand. Great. Keep your hand up if you went to more than one party. Great. Was anybody super tired the next day and maybe feeling a little, I don't know, hungover? Sure, your T cell count probably dropped that day because you weren't feeling very well and your T cells had to go off and fight some infections, fight some colds or some bacteria that you picked up, maybe from the bad chicken salad that was at the party or who knows what. But your T cells were kicking ass and now they're rebuilding themselves. Now that you're taking better care of yourselves, you got some sleep, you got some water, you got some food, exercise, we can rebuild our T cells. Unfortunately, HIV can do it faster. And what HIV does is it infects the T cell, the army cell, kills that cell, and then makes replicates of itself. Then those replicates will kill other T cells, kill those T cells and make replicates of themselves. And then those cells go and do the same thing to other T cells until your T cells start diminishing and your virus starts building. Now, if it ever becomes where your T cells drop to 200, that is when someone is going to be diagnosed with acquired immunodeficiency syndrome because their immune system is at a deficit and any bacteria or infection they come in contact is liable to kill them. The common cold, COVID, my God. Individuals with HIV and AIDS during COVID must have gone through another wave of terror that we probably have no clue about. Because if they were to have contracted COVID, it would have wreaked havoc on their immune system. They have over 25 medications that can be used to treat HIV, and the faster you get on the medications, the stronger you will be and the less virus you will have. We know this because we have done studies on people who take their medications vigilantly and they have unprotected sex with their partners, and over the course of a 15-year study, their partners did not contract HIV. If they use PrEP, which is a prophylaxis drug, the chances are even further lowered. So there is a brand new medication that was tested over the course of the last 10 years, and now it's on the market, Truvada, you might, some of you know, is a medication that someone who has HIV can take to help prevent transmission to their partners. It is also something that individuals who don't have HIV can take to help prevent getting HIV from from their partners, if they know their partner's positive, let's say, or if they know that they are at higher risk than someone else, they might take this Truvada. So there are ways of preventing it and there are ways of treating it once you contract it. About 44,000 people a year contract HIV in this country. Questions? Oh, uh, do you also want to bring up PEP? No, it's fine. I'm done.
Anybody else? All right, we're going to talk about prevention. So prevention... Oh, I don't have it. Oh, you know what? I'll do it over here. It's fine. Can you throw me your marker? Oh, you! What kind of a throw is that? It's horrible. Ugh. Go pitch for the Dodgers. A. What's A for? That's right. Oh, no, we don't boo abstinence. We also don't boo my spelling. If you say anything about my spelling, I swear to God, I'll give you all Fs. I'll have Dave give you Fs, too. I don't care if you're in my class. Don't say anything. Abstinence just means that you're not doing something right now, right? It's off the table right now. None of us here... Yeah, no, we're all abstinent right now, right? We are all practicing abstinence. You can practice abstinence until you go home later today and you hook up with whoever you're going to hook up with. Or until you go back home for the summer and you meet up with your partner that you left at home. Long-distance relationships are hard. Boy, that's a conversation. Uh, Or maybe you want to be abstinent until you get into your next romantic relationship. Or maybe you want to be abstinent until you get tested with your partner. Or maybe you want to be abstinent until marriage. I don't care. As long as you're abstinent, you're safe. Yay! B. You're not going to ever guess it. Be monogamous. And here's what. God, is this the only one? Okay. We're going to have to do tiny creatures. That's me. Because <laughs> it's got curls. Get it? And that's my husband. He's so handsome. He does your hands on And when we started dating, hooking up, whatever, he straight up said, straight to my face, <laughs> I don't want a girlfriend. I'm not going to be monogamous. I'm not even going to tell you that I'm going to be faithful. I don't want to be faithful. I love hooking up with you. I think you're rad, but I am not going to be your boyfriend. And I was like, bet. (laughs) Okay. All righty. You want to see who can hold on the longest? (laughs) So I said, sure, game on. Let's do this. So we hooked up. Whatever. He hooked up with some creatures. There were some creatures that he had hooked up with before me, who we don't talk about. I hooked up with some humans. There were some people that I hooked up with before. She was brand new. They, They knew each other. I don't even know how that happened. That was weird. They knew each other. I'm just running in the same circles at this point. Now, I used condoms with all of my people, okay? Protection. I don't want what anybody else has. And we used condoms together because I don't know if he used condoms with those creatures. I have no clue. So, as I predicted, (laughs) because I'm always right, about three to four months into our relationship, he says, let's go on a date. I want to take you to sushi. <laughs> As a girl, I was like, oh, he's going to break up with me. No, this is fine. No, it's great. No, I'm fine. Because I loved him at this point. Like, I was in love. Like, deep. I knew that this man, it was in my soul. Like, bleh. so I was really upset. He takes me to sushi. He sits down and he goes, okay. So I have a confession to make. I kind of want to be your boyfriend. <laughs> what? I almost died, right? Ah, inside, inside, inside. I was like, I knew it. I knew I knew it. I don't want to be a creature. It was me. I don't like a creature. Outside, I was like, yeah, pass the soy sauce. <laughs> what? Like, I'm dying. And then this man looks at me and says, cool, let's go get tested. Record scratch. What? Let's go get tested tomorrow. Ironically, we live across the street from that clinic now, which is hilarious. Um, When the universe knows, she knows. Uh, He said, let's go get tested. So the next day we went to Altamed on Newland in Huntington Beach. We got tested together. We exchanged results. He looked at mine. I looked at his. So I could see there was nothing. He didn't say to me, baby, my penis is handsome. He didn't say, I got tested last month and I'm good. 
He didn't say, I don't have any symptoms. Why would we get tested? He said, let's get tested. So we could remove the condom and keep the creatures out. This is, yeah, that's the point where you do that. Aw, right? And we're monogamous, right, with one another. So the whole time we're dating, for 10 years, we're monogamous. And I'm going to the gynecologist every year. Not because I don't trust him. I trust him with my life. Not because I don't love him. Literally, my cousin is sitting in the back. How much do I love that man? It's annoying how much I love this man. It's ridiculous. Because I love myself more. And monogamy is hard. So get tested. Just make it a part of your routine. If you're monogamous, your chances of getting an STI drop dramatically as long as both of you are getting tested regularly and you are both safe. C is for condoms. Condoms are 98% effective when used consistently and correctly. Consistently means every time, not when you remember, not when you're at home next to your nightstand. Consistently means you carry them with you when you leave for the day like your chapstick and your phone because you want to have sex that day and maybe you will. Who knows? Don't keep it in your purse. Don't leave it in the car. These are very sensitive to heat. Don't sit on it. It needs to be something that you put in the front of your pants like your chapstick or your wallet or, or excuse me, your keys, not with your wallet. When you want to use a condom, you want to check the expiration date. These expired so long ago, but that's why I'm using them. These expired in 2018. We don't use expired condoms because we don't want something coming out of us that looks like expired milk. We don't drink expired milk. We don't use expired condoms. Chlamydia is gross. It's gross. It's gross. Don't do it. I don't, don't worry, I don't give these out. These are my class condoms. These are not my handout condoms, I promise. I'm not giving you guys expired condoms. That would be the worst. When you check the condom, you want to make sure there's air inside the condom. I call it the pillow test. You're laying on a pillow, most likely. So do the pillow test and make sure there's air in that bad boy. If there's no air, it's most likely dried out, which means it could tear easier. When you open it, you will notice there are little tiny notches all over the condom. I like to call these idiot notches. That is because anybody can open this. This is not a Del Taco packet. It does not need your teeth. It does not need scissors. This is easier to open than anything. Ooh, you've ever opened in your whole life. When you take it out of the package, it should look like Harry Potter's sorting hat. <laughs> Team Ravenclaw, if you're wondering. There should be a little bubble at the tip. You should be able to roll it down. If it looks like this, please do not put it on a penis. Because if you try to put this condom on a penis, you won't be able to roll it down. And any fluid like pre-cum will now be on the outside of your condom and you'll have to start over. So if you see the bubble, you see the hat, pinch the tip and make sure you roll it all the way down. You don't want to stop halfway through. The anus and the vaginal canal are both muscles. So if that condom isn't rolled all the way down and secured, the muscle could pull it off. You don't want to do that. Make sure it's all the way to the base. Make sure you have room at the tip for all the semen that's going to come out. If you don't, the semen can rupture the top, can actually break the condom with the force. When you are done with the condom, and you can be done with a condom at any time. If you want to be done with a condom because you're ready to move on to a different type of sex, get a new condom. You don't you reuse condoms. You can use 12 condoms in one sitting. Go for it. Make sure when you take this condom off, you don't take it off over the top of anybody. Don't let any of the little friends fall out. Throw it in a trash can, not a toilet. Please stop killing dolphins and seagulls. It is awful. I hate it. Make sure, oh shoot, you know what I didn't do? Make sure you put it in the trash can. Condoms are typically one size fits all. You don't need a Magnum condom unless you really do, but 99% of people aren't gonna need a Magnum condom. All condoms are tested for efficacy, safety, the ability to last, the ability to be in a large person, a small person, a lot of activities. High five. High five. High five. Yay. Condoms are durable. That's why some are called Durex. High five. 
You're welcome. <laughs> condoms are super, super safe when they're used consistently and correctly. You don't need a Magnum condom. Nobody likes it when guys wear sweatpants to bed. Please, no, condoms are for almost everybody. You don't need the Magnum size. Don't use lotion with your condoms. Lotion eats latex. Use water-based lubricants, Astroglide, KY Jelly, Wet. They're all wonderful. Make sure you don't use two condoms at once. What happens when you rub two balloons together? They pop. If you need to use two condoms, you need to reassess the situation. Yes, Dave? I don't know why it's just breaking now, but I just wonder when they come to the trash cans. <laughs> After all the years of me doing this, um, how many condoms are in the trash cans? Oh, my word. Wow, that is true. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Uh, that is the end of my presentation. If you're with my class, please go take a 15-minute break and come back so I can give you your papers. And Dave? Oh, well, I mean, I'm just telling them now so they know. So before we end, I want to give people a chance to ask questions. Oh, really? We have enough time? Oh, yeah, we got time. Oh, oh, God. Oh. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, my class usually doesn't have... Okay, go ahead. The HPV shot is preventative for the four types of HPV that cause cancer. And it was also like pretty um, controversial because they passed it like through the FDA really quickly. And there were a lot of girls who got very sick and many who died in between the first and the second shot. So it's a really interesting thing to look at and read about because it's one of those situations where they passed a drug through the FDA really quickly, but not necessarily for like... Uh, a reason like HIV or a reason like COVID. It was something they could have done a little more research on before they passed it through. Um, if you've gotten all three shots, you're good. The, only, the really bad side effects were the people between the first and the second shot. Um, but yeah, it prevents against the four types that cause cancer. So yeah, they rushed it. They were like, holy shit, we have a vaccine that prevents cancer? Yeah, we're rushing this right now. But they probably shouldn't have. Just a really interesting thing to look at as far as research is concerned. Yeah. No, hurt is not the right word. Um, it is awkward and it is uncomfortable for about a second when they, when they stick the speculum in. It's uncomfortable. Like they'll tell you you'll feel a little pinch and you do. You're like, oh. And then they talk to you about where you're gonna go for dinner and you're like, what? The so they take your mind off of it. They're really good and the nurse is in the room. It's just weird. It's not hurt, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt as bad as getting a, sh a shot. Oh. But I'm a big pansy so I don't like getting shots. What else? Yeah, keep them coming. No, you're it. Um, you're on stage. What protection, not condoms, can you use for Oh, I love when I get this question because it makes me want to tell people, get into this field. Please develop something so that I can talk about it. Dental dams are great for oral sex, um, but they don't stay in place um, if you want to have vaginal to vaginal sex. The other thing I can say uh, for women who have sex with women is to make sure you clean your sex toys. They are made of silicone and they do have um, little fissures in them and you want to make sure you clean them thoroughly uh, between each use. That goes for anybody who uses sex toys, but specifically um, another way for women who have sex with women to protect themselves. Um, you can use the dental dams. You can use condoms if you are going to do any finger play or fist play. Um, and they do make specific anal condoms as well now that are specifically tailored for anal sex. But please invent something, somebody, please invent something that women can use um, during sex that, that is preventative for them for STIs. The thing about uh, women who have sex with women is they actually make up the least number of, they make up the group of people who get STIs the least. They still do, um, but they do get it the least. Other questions? Yeah. Chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. Just those three? Of the ones I talked about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Do all STIs, can they be transferred through like, giving birth or not all of them? All of them, yes. So you can give your baby chlamydia, gonorrhea. A lot of babies are stillborn because of syphilis. That's another S, uh, stat that went up in Orange County in 2019 was the number of babies who were born stillborn because of syphilis. You can give your baby herpes. You can give your baby uh, HPV. You can give your baby HIV. Um, there's so many fluids happening when you give birth. That's an entirely other lecture, but yeah, absolutely you can. 
blindness, deafness with gonorrhea and chlamydia sucks. Yeah. Which ones are transmittable through oral sex? Which ones what? Are transmittable through oral sex. All of them. All of them are transmittable through oral sex, vaginal sex, and anal sex. Dave. So with some of the other guest speakers who come, so for example, counseling or clinical psychologists, but ask them a little bit about their career path and what suggestions they would have for students who might want to pursue those careers. You've had kind of an interesting career path that's different from what most people envision when they <laughs> So, first of all, if you don't know what you want to do for a career, chill. You're good. We don't all know. It's okay. I was a theater major, and then I was like, I like talking. I'll be a communications major. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> that is not what that is, by the way. Uh, and then I was like, I like people. Maybe I'll do psychology. And then I got to Cal State Long Beach, and I, Long Beach, and I was like, wait, I really like people. I'm going to do sociology too. So I added a major. So I graduated with two bachelor's degrees because I was like, I want to learn all the stuff about all the things. And then I wanted to get my master's, and I had already started speaking for HIV and AIDS lectures and doing a couple of the STI lectures as well. And I started taking as many human sexuality classes as I could because it was my favorite subject. And at the time, I was like, this is, I just really like learning about this and I get A's. <laughs> so if it counts towards my major, I'm gonna take it because it's easy. Um, but I started to realize through some of my teachers that my papers, like, this is a really good, Ashley, you should publish this. Like, this is a, like, you obviously enjoy what you're doing. What are you doing? Like, what are, why are you not doing this more? And I was like, wait, I really do like doing this a lot. And then I started talking at schools more and I started making more of these like presentations that I wanted to do. All the while I was getting my degree. I finally graduated and I was like, I just want to work in the field of social services. That's it. I just want to get in that field. I don't want to be a waitress anymore. I've been a waitress for 15 years. It was great because I could go and talk at high schools during the day and then go work at night. But I wanted a job where I could help people. So I started working in the drug and alcohol field in recovery. And I was answering phones, and I was learning about medications, and I was learning about all these diagnoses, and I was learning about dual diagnosis and substances, still teaching these STD classes, still getting calls from Dave. Do you want to teach? Yes. I never said no to him. I would take sick time to teach in his class. I had a teacher here at Chapman who would build one Friday night class around my schedule and put it in the syllabus as a mandatory class on a Friday because I couldn't come and teach the class during the day because I worked. Like... I did everything I could. I spoke at every place I could. I got to know people. I went to meetings. I went to anything Dave asked me to do. I said, yes, I'll, any class. You got it. Over the summer? Yep. While I'm on vacation? Yep. Absolutely. And then he said, you should probably get your master's. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And he's like, no, really? You should probably get your master's. And I'm like, oh. So I found a program. I worked 40 hours a week at a research company. Um, we do clinical research for schizophrenia. So my rehab place shut down. I needed to find another job. I wanted it again to be in the psychology field. So this time I went for clinical research thinking that'll look good if I ever want to teach at a college that is focused on research. So I'm like, hmm, I hate this job, but this job is teaching me so much about research. So much. I know all about protocols in the IRB. Ugh. But I also know everything about schizophrenia and depression and bipolar. I know all the medications for them. I know all about health conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis and all the medications for those. I got my master's in health psychology online because I couldn't take time off of work. So I just did it online. I hated it. Ugh, I love being in front of people. I love talking to people. I hated online school so much, you guys. But I did it because I really, really, really wanted to teach really bad. And I graduated with honors during COVID. I didn't even, I'm going to cry. I didn't even get to walk. Like it was so upsetting. I walked at my Nana's house and my cousin took a video of me jumping into the swimming pool with my cap and gown because it was only us in our COVID bubble. But I did it. And that April I said, Dave, I graduated. And he goes, perfect. You want to teach in the fall? I was like, yep. He goes, as long as COVID doesn't, doesn't mess it up, you can teach in the fall. And guess what happened? Fucking COVID. <laughs> Damn it. 
So I call this guy one day and I'm like, hey, I can't teach and I'm dying. Like, I got all this energy, I got all this knowledge, I just got my master's, what can we do? And he said, wanna start a podcast? And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Are you kidding me, what? So we started a podcast. And I've been doing the podcast ever since because it was this outlet for me to teach millions of people <laughs> jokes on me. There's like 150 like loyal listeners, but I love every single one of them because they're rad. Like it's, it's one of my favorite things that I do. And it helps me learn and it helps me develop this class. It helps me understand new and upcoming things. I'm going to talk about things that I would have never known had you not written your bubble papers for me. You're giving me my fuel. And then I got to teach. And Dave said, do you want to teach in the fall? And I was like, yep. He goes, do you want to teach on this day? And I said, yep. He goes, you want to teach at this time? I'm like, literally, tell me what to do. Tell me. Find your mentor. Find your passion. And hold the fuck on. That is my ultimate advice. As a guest speaker, that is literally what I tell the classes. As your professor, I probably would not have said it any differently. That's it. Uh, you have to find it yourself. Yay. Thanks, guys. And if you'd like, you can come and look at the wonderful 3D model of the clitoris that my class gets to see all the time. It's so cool. Oh, my God, I should. Ooh, I'll be taking suggestions. Email me. Go ahead. Our special guest speaker for the day. Uh, yeah.